Will you please stand as you are able for a reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Now eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent in those days, told no one of any of the things they had seen. This is the word of God for the people of God. As we prepare for this morning's sermon, I invite you to pray with and for me. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We need to talk. It strikes me that the transfiguration of Jesus is a crucible moment in the grand scheme of Christian history. It was a crucible moment as Jesus climbed the mountain with Peter and John and James so that Jesus might pray. And as he did, his face shone bright as the sun, his clothes were transfigured, they became dazzling white. We learn something significant about who Jesus is in that moment. Though it's a mystery, the gospel writers don't explain it, they just tell the story. And they tell it as Peter and James and John watch and are amazed. 2,000 years later, it feels like a crucible moment. One of these moments where everything before and everything after has a dividing line. You start to understand what you've seen in light of what you now know. But it was especially a crucible moment for those disciples who saw Jesus and wanted to stay there. Wouldn't you want to stay there? It also strikes me that there have been many crucible moments in the life of this congregation just in the last week. Deaths and losses, losses of friendships or jobs or loved ones. You may know that 
the Decatur community lost a senior at Decatur High School this week to a self-inflicted gunshot wound. I know that many of you are grieving. I grieve with you. I have just returned from St. Louis from a called General Conference of the United Methodist Church, which was itself a crucible moment in the life of the denomination. For 46 years, the United Methodist Church has argued about human sexuality and its proper expression. And so in 2016, the General Conference, which is our top legislative body as a church, our top lawmaking structure, said that we would have a special conference in 2019 to discern what they called a way forward for the church. And yet, having just returned from that conference, I can tell you that we went every direction but forward. It was my great hope and prayer that the church would create space within our local congregations for clergy who desired to do so and churches that desired to do so to host weddings for same-sex couples who just want to be married in their church in Christ's holy church. To allow annual conferences, areas that wanted to, to ordain uh, LGBTQ clergy And yet, what ultimately planned, passed by a narrow majority, 52 or 53 percent, moves us in the opposite direction, reinforces the language in the Book of Discipline related to incompatibility of homosexuality with Christian teaching, imposes mandatory penalties. I don't know how much of it is going to survive our review process. We have a judicial council, a Supreme Court, uh, as it were, and it's already said that much of what was ultimately passed will not survive. I'm less concerned with those specifics and more concerned with a couple of things. One is saying to our LGBTQ members, many of whom are in the room, and their families, which really at the end of the day is all of us, how deeply hurt and sorry I am. I do not like airing dirty laundry, but this has been all over the news. Every person in America who identifies as LGBTQ knows what happened in St. Louis. It was not our best day. What's more, our local congregations are strong. This church is strong. It's been around for 200 years, which incidentally is four times as long as the United Methodist Church has been a denomination. Our churches are strong, but our decision-making structure, where we every four years rent a convention center and have what amount to theological riots with one another, that way of doing church is broken. It does harm. The United Methodist Church at that level is structured based on the concepts 
present in American democracy. There are three branches. It looks like American politics, and so it is that the worst of American politics infects our church like a virus. What's more, 40% of the delegates to the General Conference come from outside of the United States. This is not a problem in and of itself except for you couple the largest problems of American democracy with our own history of colonialism within the United States, and it gets ugly. It is broken. Harm is done to our local churches and, more importantly, to the people who lie closest to God's heart. All of this breaks my heart. I have been crying for a week and a half. I've done a lot of work in my career, short though it has been, on matters of church unity. You know, Jesus tells us to do a lot of things, but the thing he most fervently prays for is that we would be one, as God is one. I think it's instructive that Jesus prays for this. That's powerful to me. And so I have hoped and have shed tears over our need to hold together, not to be in unanimity with one another, not to be of one mind about everything, but to be one in God's holy church. And so the brokenness that I see at our upper levels of the denomination, just like I see our brokenness writ large in the upper levels of our political system, it makes me cry. It's deeply broken. I've come to understand that there is in fact a tension between love and unity. There is a tension between love and unity. Unity is good. And love is good. But if in our unity we refuse to deal with our differences, if we say we ought not bring up difficult topics because we need to stay united, that is not a unity at all. It is some copy of a copy of a copy of the worst instincts of southern hospitality that says bless your heart and tries to leave problems out of the room. I struggle with where we are as a denomination because in our brokenness, and no matter how you feel about the outcome of the general conference, I have not met a single person who feels like that was a good way to spend four days and three and a half million dollars. In our brokenness, I see the hope of God. Each time we gather at the table and raise the bread, we break it to be reminded that Christ is broken for us. That in that brokenness, in our sin, Christ comes into our lives. 
in the midst of that brokenness, I will tell you where I intend to plant my flag. I intend to plant my flag on the solid foundation of grace. I intend to plant my flag on the solid foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of the love that will not let me go. And it's easy to say in church, it's harder to live out in public. I have heard it said that love lived out in public is called justice. It's much easier to give somebody a hug than it is to work for their well-being. And yet, if we are to be the church of Jesus Christ, and if we are to love our neighbor, and I think we agree that we are to love our neighbor, love lived out in public looks like justice. And if there is injustice anywhere in the world, we as God's people are called to address it. We are not a political organization. We are not a caucus group. We are a church. And yet, this is our holy work. It is the work of Jesus. And I am through pretending I am through pretending that by talking around issues, we can get through them. Friends, I am at a place in my own life and in my own ministry and as a United Methodist that I am planting my flag in love. Everybody claps for love. <laughs> when you start to put flesh on it, it gets a little trickier. It gets a little trickier. But I've come to understand that my own silence is complicity in injustice. I repent of that. I repent of my own internalized homophobia. I would wager that everyone in the room carries some of it with us. And so as an act of repentance, I want to tell you something that I have done. If you haven't heard about it yet, you will. <laughs> as we return from General Conference on Wednesday, many of us who struggle to understand how a global church can exist in our current context, how we can work for the well-being and full inclusion of all people, including our LGBTQ siblings. We struggle. You, many of you I know, have said, what can we do? It's a hard question to answer. Some of us said, what if we wrote a letter? It's a small gesture, a letter. But what if we wrote a letter apologizing? And so I got with some clergy colleagues, and we said, let's write a letter. And I called the bishop, and I said, you need to know that I might be about to get myself into some trouble. And she said, I'm going to sign that letter. And we started collecting names. And we started collecting money from clergy. I want to read you that letter this morning. It is where my heart is today. It is 
on page A13 of this morning's Atlanta Journal-Constitution. A letter to our LGBTQ siblings and their allies. As United Methodist pastors and church leaders in North Georgia, we write to acknowledge the harm done last week by the global gathering of the United Methodist Church, known as General Conference. We grieve the actions of this General Conference, which tightened restrictions on the ordination of gay clergy and maintained prohibitions on our clergy performing same-sex weddings. We say to our LGBTQ siblings, you are beloved children of God and you are beloved by us. This action of the General Conference does not reflect our own hopes and dreams for the United Methodist Church. More importantly, we believe that it does not reflect the hopes and dreams of God. It is notable that 70% of the General Conference delegates from the United States voted in favor of a more inclusive church and yet, as a diverse and global church, we find ourselves in a situation where the denomination has perpetuated exclusion. Too often, our silence as clergy has done harm. We commit to advocating and working for the full inclusion of all God's people in God's church. And we humbly ask for your prayers and forgiveness. We believe that God is not yet finished working within the United Methodist Church. We hope that you can join us in this work, but we understand if you cannot. And we commit to working alongside God as we weep alongside you with fervent prayer, the undersigned. Friends, I didn't know how many people, how many local North Georgia clergy would be willing to sign such a statement. But I want to show you this piece of paper. 275 of your local pastors are done. It is time. <laughs> Friends, none of this is easy. As someone who's worked for church unity my whole career and who still to this day believes that it is God's intention, I also know that we are in the middle of birth pains as a church. One pastor I follow said last week that it feels as if the church is in the middle of the birth canal. And here's one thing I know about the birth canal. Once you're in it, you don't get to turn around. <laughs> I don't know what the global United Methodist Church is going to look like over the course of the coming days and months and years. It will look different than it looks now, but I hope you look different than you used to look. I hope that you grow in ways that I pray the church is growing and will grow over the course of the coming days and years. But I also know that the work that is necessary for us to do to welcome all people into God's holy church will not happen unless you are energized by God to do that work. 275 clergy is a good start, but give me 275 lay people versus 275 clergy any day of the week. This is work we must do. I know that it is difficult.
we are in a crucible moment in which the church must stand up for what is right within its doors and outside. When Peter and James and John experienced the miracle of the transfiguration, as Jesus' face shone like the sun, and as His clothes were transformed into dazzling white, their first instinct was to stay on the mountain. I hear so often, let's just be passively welcoming as a church. Why do we have to talk about difficult things in the life of the church? I want to come here and get fed. And I want to come here and get fed too. But here's the thing. Those disciples wanted to stay on top of the mountain. But you know what got them to go down? It was the cloud. It was the voice of God who said, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. And so I have come to understand that the transformation that begins with an encounter with Jesus is not completed until you and I and all of us go down from the mountain to do the work, to come here and get fed and then go out the doors to advocate for the well-being of all people. It is the nature of what it means to be a Christian and it is our unique heritage as Wesleyans, as Methodists, for at the bottom of our mountain, at its base, there is a table. And the table is wide. And the table is wide. And the table is wide. And there is nothing that the general conference or anyone else can do to separate you from the love of God. And so, dear friends, in this crucible moment. Let us not stay atop the mountain. Let us descend and gather at God's table where all are welcome. For at the end of the day, what we will do, what we will do here around this table is the most radical thing that can be done. Thanks be to God. Amen.